Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle with your host, Sylvie Daou, and I'm super excited to bring to you Alan Dempsey, professional triathlon coach and athlete. Um, So we're going to dive right in to Alan. I've got a couple questions to start it off and then we're going to get into his story. But the thing about Alan is that he is, he's moved his coaching into working with youth programs. And that's what I really want to um, want you guys to listen in for, because, you know, if you have kids, you're wondering, you know, where can we put them into a good program and how do we keep them engaged as a teenager? Right. And uh, this is what we're going to get into with Alan. And uh, so I'm so happy to have you here. Let's uh, let's just dive in with a couple questions. Where are you from? I'm actually from uh, a little town called Alcona, which is like maybe 45 minutes north of Toronto, just south of Barrie. Oh, okay. It's, little, it's like a, when I was growing up, it was like a little beach cottage town, but now it's grown up into like a proper sleeper community for commuters to Toronto. Ah, is it along Georgian Bay? No way. No, it's on Lake Simcoe. Oh, okay, cool. All right, and where are you currently living? I live in Ottawa now. I've lived in Ottawa probably like 15, 16 years now. So he's right down the street from me. And I'll tell you how Alan and I met. We, um, this all comes back to that coaching course that I just took, we just took recently. And Alan was one of the coaches in there and um, hoping to bring in a whole bunch of them. So we're both on the same coaching platform here in Canada. And uh, so it's pretty cool. Now, we know you're um, a professional triathlon. Is it Ironman? Yeah, I do. I do most. I've done mostly half Ironman so far. Okay, so perfect. Alan's going to give us a snapshot or a story of how he got into the sport, and then we're going to dive right into what he's currently doing with a local youth program. So let's hear it, Alan. Tell yeah, so us how I, you got started. I actually, I've been. I wanted to ride like race bikes when I was a teenager. And where I grew up, it was all hockey. There was no cycling programs around. Like there was mountain biking at Horseshoe, Horseshoe Valley, but that was like still an hour away from where I lived. Um, so I bought a road bike with my first paycheck at my first job out of high school. And I joined a club and I wanted to race, but then I went to university and I couldn't afford to do it. So then I got into running um, and I was a runner for a number of years. Um, and then, and then I think my wife actually got into triathlon and so I started doing triathlon and I did an Ironman and 
did all of that. And then I was doing grad school at, at, at Western in London at this point, and I just finished an Ironman and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go start riding the track because there was a track in London, the four city. Oh Dolby. yeah. Yeah. So I got involved with that and then I was like, okay, well, this bike racing stuff is a lot more interesting than triathlon. <laughs> I have a similar story to that because I tried triathlon too and I'm like, this is boring. I'm going to do adventure racing. <laughs> That's what yeah. I did. <laughs> so I, I, I loved riding the track. I loved racing the track. And then I started racing outside. Um, and I, it was actually, Rob Good was running the Forest City Velodrome Youth Program at the time. Yeah, no Rob. And yeah, and so I was a Cat 3 when I started, and at the time, Cat 3s and Juniors raced together. So he basically said, like, you know, you can race, you can race with the junior team um, and train with us. And I, so I was like, like this 25-year-old guy, 26-year-old guy. Um, I was an old man, essentially, at that time for them, racing with these, like, 17-year-olds. And so but when I finished... Keep up? Yeah, I, yeah, I could keep up pretty good with them. And then, um, um, so I, then I, and then I moved back to Ottawa and, um, I wanted to start coaching. So I, and part of it was that I wanted to coach youth. I wanted to coach a youth, a junior development team mm -hmm. after having that experience with them. Um, but then I actually met up with Ian Frazier from Psychologic and I started oh, working cool. with him. Yeah. And he's a big triathlon guy yeah. in this area. So it was just sort of natural for me to, to move into triathlon coaching. So I kind of moved into that world. And then I did a couple of years bike racing and um, I raced for a couple of different teams. I raced for Velo Select and um, I didn't have a great experience bike racing. Um, I don't know. What happened? So, uh, I just, it was, yeah. You it could was say just, it. Um, Come on. <laughs> I, what happened I, I developed an unhealthy um relationship with food um really yeah just because like cycling is a sport where you're you have to be so lean and thin and i was like becoming kind of obsessive with it um, oh my gosh okay stop yeah, let's talk so about I, this <laughs> no but seriously because i think um i think this is an area that nobody talks about i know it's all there but can you just elaborate a little bit on it? Because I know that's not, that's not what our focus is today, but well, yeah, maybe so we can was, bring you in and talk more about that. So I was always like, a, I was always kind of a heavier guy. I don't know. I just like, a, just always sort of carried a lot more weight around with me. I was, when I was on the track, it was awesome because I was a good sprinter. Um, so I was trying to lose weight so I could get over climbs. And instead of just focusing on my fitness and getting like stronger, I was like, well, if I just get lighter, I'll have more watts per kilo so I was kind of obsessive about it especially you know I was like maybe at this point I was maybe 27 or 28 and mm -hmm. a lot of the guys on the teams that I was racing for were like six or seven years younger than me so I like I was like well, like I'm getting at the I'm getting at the end of the line here like if I don't I really <laughs> wanted to race Sagna I really wanted to get good enough to race Sagna and I wanted to have that like before I get too old and slow. I wanted to like have one UCI race and just have that experience. So I was sort of obsessed with like being a good climber and trying to lose weight. So yeah, I was like, I was, like constantly starving myself. It got to a point where I was like forcing myself, I would eat a pizza just because I liked the pizza and then I would force myself to throw it up. And so ironically though, um, we did Charlevoix and that was going to be the selection for 
Saguenay and I got food poisoning during that race. And I spent an entire, like all the whole night before the road race. Um, oh throwing, God. The entire night throwing up from food, from food poisoning. And that road race is not forgiving. Like yeah, I've so, done that stage race a couple times and <laughs> yeah. So I got up that morning and, and I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is crazy. Like I just spent all night throwing up and having the worst time of my life. So I didn't do any more racing that summer. And then I actually, so Ian at the time was a partner in the Somersault Triathlon series, which I was also, I was working for them a little bit. And I was like, I'm can I, go. can I ask you before you get into that? Yeah. Was there pressure in the team for that? Or was that all pressure no. No, from it was you? Totally, it was totally put on myself. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't from the team. Um, at all. I, I don't think anybody, like no one really knew, even my wife, I don't think really knew what, what I was going through at the time. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so I was so disenfranchised with cycling at that point. And um, yeah, so I decided to do a triathlon and, and I, I like crushed it. I was super fit on the bike. I was not a very good swimmer. I've never been a good swimmer, but I had an okay swim and I, and I set a 10k PB on that race. So I was like, you know, this triathlon thing, maybe I'm, I'm actually good at it. So I asked Ian to start coaching me in triathlon. And the next year, I, um, I think it was the next year, the next year I took out my pro card and started, started racing and training. And, um, even, even then, like it, it was, a, it was a less of a burden on me for, for trying to lose weight because yeah. triathlon's a lot more forgiving to that. Um, but it was still a long time before I actually stopped calorie cutting like it was still two years later like it was even it was up till probably this past june that i just was like i'm i'm just gonna eat and not really worry about, worry about waiting so how week. how many years was that where you kind of focused on that like maybe five or six years probably so like i had a couple of i had a couple of like major breakthroughs but as soon as i was like as soon as I was consistently calorie cutting all the time, I was just sluggish and tired. Like I couldn't train. I went from like training 20 hours a week and feeling great about it to like training, yeah. like struggling to train 10 and yeah. lost it all the time. For sure. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah. That kind of brings me back to uh, a time in high school when I would do that. Yeah. And uh, it was, I was in cross country running and I'd eat supper, I'd throw it up, and then I'd go running for like an hour. And I was like, that's crazy. It was <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. And it didn't last long, but it was just like, oh, uh, what am I yeah. doing? You know? Not great. <laughs> it's just a strange thing to, um, and I'm like, is my parent, even parent, is my family noticing? Because we had this bathroom like way in the back of the house, and that's kind of, where <laughs> yeah. I did everything you know yeah. um but so so now you're out of it okay so how do you feel now like it's a t it's totally different so like even when I was training for triathlon I've never had a good race as a pro I always blow up on the run and have terrible swims and it, it was partially to do with the fact that I would get like I'd feel paranoid in like the two weeks prior to the race that like you know am I fit enough? Am I like lean enough? Am I, do I look like a pro? Is, am I going to show up to transition and people are going to be looking at me and be like, like, this guy's not like, what is this guy doing here? He's not, he doesn't belong here. 
And so like, it was, it was really hard. And then when COVID happened, it was sort of like, well, there's no more racing. So now I can just train, I can just train like an animal. And I kind of knew at that point that if it was going to work for me, if training was going to work that I had to fuel. Right. And it's, it's ridiculous because, you know, as a coach, you deal with this stuff with your athletes and you say all the right things to them, right? And you give them the right advice. But then when it comes to you doing it yourself, you're terrible. Like you don't give yourself the same advice. So like I knew what I was doing was stupid, but I just kept doing it. And so then I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just whatever. I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna eat all the food that I want. And so I started eating a ton. And surprisingly, like I, I think I gained maybe two kilos but then once I actually started meeting the demands of the energy that I was using, my metabolism started picking up and I actually started, I didn't lose any weight, but I started leaning out. And like now I'm, I'm pretty consistently training 20 hours a week again. Um, I'm having like, I've had the best three month block of training I've had in five years. Um, and like I'm super fit and I feel really good and I feel like full of energy. So like, I feel like I'm 25 again, which is awesome. So, oh my yeah. gosh, you can read, go back and kind of redo it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do like, it right this time. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's good because, you know, like I'm not, I'm not relative to sport. I'm not super young. Like I'm, th- I'm going to be 35 this year, but thankfully triathlon is a sport that's really forgiving to age. So, you know, if you look at challenge Daytona that happened like a week ago or two weeks ago, like probably three quarters of the field is over 35 so you know it's yeah i'm uh yeah you're a young pup (laughs) i know in the age of sport sometimes it's like oh i'm so you know i'm i'm over the hill and how could i possibly and i see ladies that i train well i know and uh and they're like in their 60s and they're killing it but it's in their age group right and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Right. I go, oh, well, cause like I'm almost 50. So I'm like, I look up to them because, you know, that's 15 years for me. She's like 65. And I'm yeah. like, well, there's still lots of time for me to peak as a, a master's athlete. Like I'm not gonna be a pro or anything, but. Well, I think people don't realize that like, if you look at pros and elites, like, yeah, they'll cap out at 35 because they've been doing it since they were 15. They're not going to get yeah. any better after 35. But if, if, you've never, if you've not been someone who's trained consistently like 500 plus hours a year for, for 10 or 15 years, like even at 55, 60, 65, you're never, nowhere near close to your whatever you could possibly be, right? Yeah. Even if, it, even if that, that absolute potential comes down as you age, you're like, you know, it's coming down, but you're still like can still go up, but you're nowhere near your ceiling. (laughs) But then I'm like, do I want to train 5,500 hours uh, (laughs) a year? You know, because that's a lot of training. But, you know, for one sport, it's, I think it'd be easier than like trying to lump in three. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone always like, I actually think triathlon is maybe healthier in some ways because it's three sports so you have you know like swimming is a super technical sport and it's low impact but it's full body so like it's you need tons of mobility you need tons of flexibility every muscle in your body works you get a strong core you get a strong upper body 
There's not a single muscle in your body that's not doing something when you're swimming. With cycling, it's hugely, it's low impact, but it's hugely endurance. So you can go out and ride for five or six hours and get that awesome cardiovascular benefit. And then running is high impact. So you get that strengthening of your bones and your joints and like all that really important stuff that you like bone density is something that you lose, especially women that you lose as you get older and you just never get back. So if you can sustain it by doing impact sport, um, I, I actually find that triathlon is, is really good in that way. And you also are less prone to re, uh, repetition injuries because your body's moving in tons of different ways and it doesn't move in the same way as much. Like if you were training for cycling 20 hours a week, that's a lot different than training tri triathlon 20 hours a week yeah. where you might only be riding eight to 10 hours a week, mm -hmm. you know? So it, you're less prone to, to repetition injuries, I think. Yeah, yeah. Although there's a lot more injuries you can get because there's a lot more movements that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know a ton of cyclists who used to be runners. I don't know if running like for that high impact and you know, their joints and their, their knees and everything. And now they've, cause I used to have a spinning studio and I always would get like a handful of runners coming in. They're like, Oh, I can't run anymore. Yeah. Now I have to ride, ride a bike or spin or, or whatever. You're like, Oh, yeah. I, mean, it, it in. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think you know, it's also learning how to run correctly too. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people take running for granted and they're just like, well, this is just a natural movement, like walking. So mm -hmm. I can just, do it but it does require like it's it's really really heavily form-based in order to do it properly and to engage the right muscles so that you're not impacting your joints um in the wrong way so it, it's like it's a pretty big commitment to be a be a solid runner yeah yeah okay so now let's trans let's um move into joining uh the local club we'll say it's the obc and they're one of the best in the, well, I guess the region for having a youth program in Ontario. Um, yeah. We have others that are in Quebec over here, but I don't think that they're as, I would say like OBC is an older club. So they've had years of experience and years of developing athletes. So when did you start, when did you move into, um, working with the OBC? Yeah, so um, I started with them basically January of this year. So, oh, no way! Yeah, January 2020 is when I started working so with them. So how'd they find you? Um, I knew one of the board members and okay. he, when I was meeting, I had lunch with him one day and he said, this position is open and he, he kind of I think I don't think he was being serious about it because he, he knew that I was in triathlon. He was like, I don't know if it's something you'd even be interested in as someone who's involved in triathlon. And he told me what it was. And I was like, well, funny you mentioned that. That's exactly what I wanted to do when I first started coaching. That's why I started coaching. Um, and I had actually kind of given up on that dream because I was like, well, I'm fully committed to triathlon coaching. And I was going to, I was on my way to do certifications and that. And I was, I wanted to get into youth coaching on the triathlon side um, with, with Bytown. So um, I was actually shocked that that even happened. It was sort of just like, wow, this just sort of fell into my lap. And then I interviewed for it and um, I had a couple of interviews and, and they, they picked me up and they decided I was a good fit. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun and um, it's, it is a ton of fun. Um, 
and it was really weird because I wasn't expecting my first year coaching a junior bike racing team to be COVID. This year. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, maybe it's good because just sort of like <laughs> ease you into it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get to know the kids more. Yeah. So it was, I would say in some ways it was, it was less work because I didn't have to go to any races, but it was more work because of all of the rules and around COVID and all of the sort of yeah. uncertainty about things. We had to be get really creative with how we, we organized practices, you know, like we could only have groups of five at one point, which meant we had oh, yeah, that's right. tons of coaches for these little pockets and they all had they, they couldn't start in the same parking lot they had to start in different starting oh, gosh, yeah. all over the place and we we had to make sure that we weren't crossing over and we had all these issues with like optics and stuff like that where we had to make sure that even a group of five if people saw us and we were all wearing the same kit they'd be like what are you doing riding in a group and it was, uh. it, was so it was it was really it was a it was a tricky year but it was, it was actually super fun it was actually super yeah fun. I find the same with, uh, with us. We were like my women's cycling club, cycle fit chicks. We were like at the lot where, cause you know, when it happened, it was like March and <clears throat> we started like, Oh my God, meeting like every two weeks, like just trying to figure out what to do and what we could we do with our, for our members right now. And how do you keep them engaged because they've already paid. And, um, and then, uh, you know, is it going to, are we going to have a season? how are we going to do this? You know, and uh, we scratched it in July 1st, I guess when the uh, Cycling Canada, yeah, I guess Cycling Canada kind of allowed it to, to get started and um, we were able to get a full season in. And, but yeah, like you, like we had to have tons of group ride leaders. We had to meet at different places. We couldn't, we couldn't draft, not that we're, big into that right at the beginning as beginners but uh yeah but those I, honestly those who came out like i think all of us were just looking for something to do like to get out and be together <laughs> like talk to other people there was, a, <laughs> there was like a point there in the middle of summer where i think other than my wife the only other adult that i actually had a face to like face-to-face -face conversation with was the other coach that i work with Otherwise, yeah. like I was sitting there one day and I was like, all the only people I've talked to for the last four weeks are 17 year olds. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> how was that? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, like, it's fun, but it's like, I would like to, I would like to have a beer and swear. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Where could I have a beer? Or like actually <laughs> sit and have a conversation. It was like our first ride. There's four of us and we just sat like in this park and we're like, Blah, 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 for like an hour. They were like, I think we need to go home, like, or, yeah. or either order in food and go the, and get some booze or <laughs> and just like stay here all day and call our husbands to pick us up. But <laughs> so now, now I didn't realize you were so new into OBC. Okay. So what do you find um, the challenges are with, you know, sustaining and because next year, 2021 is hopefully going to be different. Uh, we'll have some sort of normalcy, maybe maybe a couple races on the calendar. Um, I think we're going to have a, a race calendar next year. Yeah, I think so. 
for yeah. sure. I think by June we'll be we'll be rolling, especially in Quebec. I think Quebec will probably have races. Yeah, I uh, I was in a meeting with uh, race officials from across Canada. They uh, Quebec was able to figure it out. It was a ton of work, but um, and I think everybody's just going to follow suit and you know take their notes and. So I think uh, I think it's going to be big next year. In your opinion, like, what are the challenges that you've seen having a youth program? Because I've talked, I've heard you talk about this. Um, can you bring forward some some of the things that you've noticed so far? Um, and kind of okay. guess what the OBC is doing to to address them. Uh, like, like, in, in what context do you mean? Like, what kind of challenges are we talking about? I guess, here? like, keeping kids engaged in cycling, like, in the program they put together, um, you know, to develop them. Do you have problems, like, with kids leaving? I don't know that we have an issue with kids leaving. Um, I don't know. I, I think cycling is a sport that appeals to a certain type of person um, and generally I would say that when we get kids into the program they they usually stay the issue I think we have is when they leave us as when they graduate as U19 right. where do they go what did they right. do you know there's a couple of U23 programs in the area that provide a ton of race support. So like Ride with Rendell is awesome for, you know, they take U23 squads and they do all the big races and it's it's like amazing in that way. But there's not really a program per se, which I think might be a niche or a hole that we we need to fill. Um, and what I mean by that is is, you know, like like a typical bike team will have some training days together or they'll have a training camp, but most of the time they're training on their own and then they show up to races together and the team supports the racing. Um, but there's not like a sort of weekly training program for them. And like the team isn't necessarily responsible for their coaching, right? Um, so I think that's maybe a hole that w that could be filled is is having a development program that continues on into U23 so that they can actually come out and do like practices and, and, and training together as a group, which I think is really important. Um, and then also have that infrastructure in place so that they can go to the bigger races. Is that with the OBC? Um, so I think, I think that's, I think it's basically, it's a pathway problem. Right. Sorry. Is that what the OBC is working on? We're not. We're not working on putting together a U23 program per se, but this is the first year that we're letting U23s come into the program if, if they don't have a team to go to, basically. So they, they're, they're, there's no U23 program per se, but if, there's no, if they're not on a team or if they graduate from our program and there's nowhere, they don't know where to go or they don't have a team to go to, then they can stay in the program and we'll try to find them like guest spots with teams on for bigger races and stuff like that. Um, I think that's something that the OBC or somebody should do down the road. It should be a, it should be a five-year goal for the region to have that kind of U23 program. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems in Canada. I think it's just a pathway problem. You know, 
how does an athlete go from being a junior to um, a, cal a high caliber elite athlete? And where do they go? Like right now we have to send them to the US. We have to send them to, we've been sending them to rally, right? To, to race for domestic pro teams in the US. But how do we- Who doesn't have one? Yeah, we don't, we don't have a ton of, uh, we, we have a few and we've had a few over the years that have been really, really good, but it's hard to sustain um, Money-wise, I imagine. Racing in Canada. So, like, we, we've had awesome races over the years. We've had some awesome teams over the years, but it's never something that lasts for, you know, more than a couple of years at a time. Um, so I think there's an issue with, like, we need racing. We need, good, we need good quality races that happen consistently all the time, and it can't just always be in either Vancouver or, you know, Bose or Saguenay. Right. Like that. We need, we need to have more than just like the, those, like, what is the, I'm, I'm gapping on the name. I've done the race and I can't remember what it's called, but the big super week, super week. Oh, the super week. Right? Yes. I was talking to Kirsten about that. Yeah. So Kirsten we have like super that. week, we have super week in Vancouver, which is a big one. And that's like an awesome crit series. There's like, that's, I think, but I think Gastown might even be gone now. Like, I'm not sure, but, um, and then we have like Saguenay and Bose and, and nationals and you know there's we need more than that we need like more uci level races um okay so it's not just the program it's the racing that goes with it because i imagine like at at the age of 23 i they have to be racing in uci races they have if they want to if they want to go anywhere beyond that they have to be gathering uci points and getting that experience at least at at that level right so like what do we do like we send them to the u.s or if they're super good or they have an opportunity we send them to europe and and we fund and we get them into higher ranks like that and and actually the usa cycling just came out with a new system where they're now charging junior and development athletes like 10 grand to go into this like high performance program instead of sending their riders over to Europe to like race with these Belgian teams, they're keeping them in the U S and they're giving them these like high performance coaches, like high performance training facilities and all these really intense training things in the U S to try to keep them in the U S. And there's, I think there's probably merits to that, but that's also tricky because you're charging an athlete like an 18 year old 10 grand. Right. So it's, there's going to be barriers to that, to, to entry. And, <laughs> Well, if you added up everything a parent pays for hockey, I think 10 grand is probably cheap if it's a year. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. I guess I, I, for me, like I'm, I'm very much, um, I don't think anyone should be excluded from sport because of their financial means. So it's hard for, when I see a $10,000 price tag, it's hard for me to swallow that. But um, yeah. Like, is, that, I, I, is that like... Um, so that's a program, but does that also include getting to races? Because I'm that's... not sure. I, I, th I think it does. I think it does. And um, it's supposed to be like their Olympic, it's supposed to be like an Olympic performance program. So it's basically to like develop a rider all the way through. So they're part of the Olympic squad, essentially. So it's, 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 I, I've only just read it, like briefly looked, I, like someone sent me the article this morning. So I've only had like 15 minutes to. Oh gosh. Would you pass that along? Yeah, but so that'd be I cool then to uh, to read on. Yeah. Um, so, 
I think, I think in Canada, like we just need to get more kids on bikes. We need for starters, we just need more people riding bikes, more kids on bikes, more adults on bikes. We need more people riding bikes, more people interested in competitive side of racing or competitive side of cycling. And then we need people and businesses that are supportive of cycling who will sponsor cycling, who will, you know, put it up. We need, we need municipalities that are open to cycling events because obviously one of the biggest things about putting on a race is you've got to convince somebody to let them use your roads for a day. Right. Not everybody's into that. That's why Quebec has infrastructure in place for that, which is why the racing is so good there. Um, yeah, I know like where I'm uh, Chelsea and uh, Wakefield, they are very open to having events like that because really they just think of tourism, like yeah. bringing people in, spending money. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like this summer, but I mean, it didn't, obviously it didn't stop people going to Wakefield because it was yeah. packed. Yeah. Like <laughs> everybody yeah. was getting out of the city um, and they have the, they have a lot of roads that are great for gravel. Um, yeah. Our club puts on a time trial, yeah. um, which is simple to, to manage, but it's always been my dream to build on that yeah. to like a road, but it takes a lot more work, right? Yeah. Um, but they're so super supportive, but it's just at the other end, like having a good partner to to work with to put it all together. I mean, I'd love to do it, but, um, yeah. you know, I think having a partner would be, uh, way better. Yeah. It's, it's super hard. Like I, I work, I work for Somersault as their like, um, marketing person for four years or five years. And, oh, wow. Okay. And it's hard, man. It's hard putting on, on events. Like I didn't, I like, I didn't have to deal with any of the permitting and all that stuff dealing with the NCC and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a ton of work and I'm very appreciative for anyone who takes on that burden to put on a race because it's, it's, it's not so, like you can't make a ton of money off. It's not like really something you, you're going to get rich off of. And it's <laughs> yeah, you know, really? like the, the, <laughs> the return on your time investment is, is very little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was say, it's not, I'm not in it for the money or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, just part of the passion and trying to make things available for people locally yeah. so yeah. i'm like get out there and support it for god's sake yeah. <laughs> or else it's going to disappear yeah. but i mean we've had lots of cycling events pop up like i say events you know but um so now we're so you're getting ready and you're for next year and you said you're working on uh, a program or yeah, program for the OBC. Yeah, did so you touch I'm, on that I'm, already, or is, uh, is that something we could talk no. about? So, so one of one of the things that I'm I'm trying to do with our program is is build like a, a pathway, um, or define a pathway. I guess is the oh, best okay. Way. So this is the one you're talking about. Yeah, so it's just defining a pathway of like, where do we what what do we have to do to take a U15 all the way up so that they're performing well at U23. And, and even though we don't have a U23 program, um, it was the, that was the end point. That was the natural end point for me because I didn't want us to get to the, like our program ends at U19, but I didn't want it to be like, okay, you're, you've completed the OBC program as a U19, like off you go out the door, you're, you're a good U19 rider. 
I wanted to make sure that when it was important for me that at each stage of development, they were preparing for the next stage of development, right? So like a U15 shouldn't just be training to be a good U15 bike racer. They should be developing so that when they reach the U7, first year of U17, they already have all the skills in place and the necessary skills in place to, to be able to race as a U17, right? So it's everything is one step kind of ahead. So I wanted to make sure that we had a pathway system in place so that when our graduates were leaving the U19 program and were, if they could move on to a U23 program, that it wasn't like a shock. It wasn't like, this is a whole other realm that I'm not used to. Sorry, I'm bouncing. I'm sitting on an exercise ball. Yeah, I could, I bet. <laughs> I was, I guess that. I'm like, a stability ball. Yeah. Wee. So <laughs> but I wanted to make sure that, um, that when they graduated from our program, that they had all the skills by that point to at least get into the U23, a U23 program without it being like a massive shock. Like, oh my God, this is so different than what I'm used to. And they're going to have that shock anyway, but I wanted to like make sure that they were, like had the foundational skills to, to move into that program successfully. Um, so basically what I wanted to do was like, look at where they need to be at, at certain stages of development um, and what the actual demands are of the racing. Because, you know, if you just look at the LTAD model or like the long-term athlete development model that is out there, um, it's a little bit weird because it has all of these ages and stages and what they should be doing at ages, different ages and stages. And that's great, but it doesn't necessarily meet the demands of the racing that they have to do, right? So like if you look at the LTAD model for what they recommend you should be training at when you're 16, 17 years old, or, or sorry, 17, 18 years old, there's no way you could be successful at a race like Abitibi if, that's, if you were only doing the, the yearly training hours that they're um, oh, really? recommending. But at the same time, those training hours are recommended because it's partly based on you know, their physiology, what they can actually take, the fact that they have to go to school, the fact that they're developing bodies, and you don't want to like overrun them, right? And like burn them out on a sport. Yes. So I felt that, the, that developing this pathway was an important framework so that we were making sure that we were balancing what the demands of the racing are and what the demands of development are as they grow, but also not burning them out and overburdening them with like treating them like, like little, little pros basically. Um, so that, that was a, a, a big thing for me. And also um, preventing them from peaking too early is another big one. Like I think in that course that we were both in, one of the things that we talked about was how um, high-performing youth don't always turn into high-performing elites, right? And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, that and there's probably, you could argue what the reasons are. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure that in our pathway that we were not emphasizing, like if a kid is winning all the races as a U15, that we weren't just putting them on a pedestal and saying, look at, this is our kid. This is, look at how well he's doing for us. And he becomes this, the poster child for, for us to recruit or something like that. You know, like I wanted to make sure that the kids were getting the proper development that they needed and not just, you know, becoming superstars for the sake of being superstars. Do you have a team of people you're working with on this? Or are you doing it uh, yourself? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm working with, I'm working with, it's, it's mostly me and it's, but I'm also bouncing ideas off of our, like the program director and the other volunteer coaches. And once I put it together, 
I'm going to do like an external review process. So I've already talked to a couple of coaches um, that aren't even part of our program. And I've even like, I'm like Greg, Greg Keeley at Bytown. He's, he's a, he's a provincial development coach. So he's got a lot of uh, Don, Don Moxley. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would love to talk to him, but he's, you know, he's gone off into his Jedi hole and, He's, no, I, I don't know really? where he is now. I, yeah, really? I re- yeah, I reached out to him uh, like uh, maybe uh, two years ago. Actually, when I was doing a podcast, I reached out to him and he said, "No, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want to. I don't want anyone to talk to me." <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, really? So I, yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know Don that well, but um, yeah, it would be worth reaching out to him to see if he yeah, because he he if anybody has taken kids oh yeah through the through those levels for sure i know he's in chelsea yeah (laughs) you can (laughs) knock on his door (laughs) i don't i know is i could find him (laughs) i've seen him cycling well not lately but um and i know that that was probably that was his retirement thing right he just wanted to get on his own bike and yeah you know but uh yeah i know he was uh, exceptional yeah, he's he's more than I think paid his dues to King and Country over the years. So I I don't know if I want to want to bug him. <laughs> well, it's always like a question, right? Like, yeah. but uh, so, all right, you you're working diligently on that. Is there a deadline? <laughs> um, there's not really a deadline because it's something that I sort of it's a it's a program that I basically placed on myself to do as something that I felt I needed. Um, and the racing program needed, um, you know, just, just to keep us, you know, well, just to solve this problem, just to, just to figure out the pathway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's for developing youth, but it also is a framework for me to work under as well and to make sure that our coaches are working under something that's progressive and, and moving forward and, and to sort of bring in all the moving parts of the program. Cause you know, it's a big program. It's not just road. There's also cycle cross. There's also track and there's, oh my gosh, we have that, you know, yeah. and then we have the athletes who are also skiing in the winter time. And so there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of things to consider. And, you know, we, we have these kids that ride with us from April all the way through to the end of October. And then some of them will ski from November all the way through to April again. So, it's just about managing athletes and, and making sure that um, they're not burning out, that they love their sport, that they're developing mm-hmm. a passion for it. Um, and that, you know, it doesn't become something that they just have to show up to and they're like, Oh, I got to do these intervals again. And like, I don't mm-hmm. want that at all. I want to make sure that they're more than anything. Like even if they're not winning races, I want to make sure that they're having like buttloads of fun. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I've heard you were saying that you have a pretty cool way of your online training with Swift. Yeah. With the kids. That must be keeping them entertained. Uh, yeah, I hope so. So when, <laughs> when, when COVID happened, we moved virtual. Um, and that was new, I think, for the OBC, because I don't think they'd ever done anything like that. And so, you know, I was coming in and I said, hey, let's do this virtual thing and they looked at me like what are you talking about you crazy millennial and um <laughs> and so we we made a big push to um we made a big push to try to get kids trainers and the parents were super into getting them what they needed and 
um, we had a ton of kids that were riding on Swifts back in. The oh, that's super cool. Yeah, so it was it was awesome, and I, I I wanted to make it fun and engaging for them. So I tried to come up with all kinds of like different and like games that we could play on Zwift and like activities we could do and like give me one one that was really really fun oh definitely definitely the pool the pool recover game was was super fun um the one I think I mentioned that in that course was yeah explain it again I have to explain it for everybody here when you guys have to try this So when you're, when you're tethered together in a, in a group ride, so you, we have these like meetups where it's just us and you're tethered, right? So it's like everybody, doesn't matter how hard you're working, everybody kind of stays together, but it's okay, not yeah. like, you're not like fixed. It's like a rubber band, right? So if somebody's going really hard in the group and somebody's riding really easy, you're still together, but they split, they spread out, mm-hmm. right? And the, the slower person, the person who's riding easy has a negative impact on the overall group speed. And the person who's riding hard has a positive impact on the overall group speed. So I came up with this game where I split the group into two and one group had to pull and the other group had to recover. And oh, switched, I like it. Yeah. So they switched every, like we, the intervals changed. Sometimes it was two minutes. Sometimes it was five minutes. And the key thing was that they had to be cognizant of the fact that when they were recovering, they were having a negative impact on the group speed. So they had to pick an F, they had to find an effort that they could pull at, that they could make the group go fast, but not so hard that when they recovered, they had to like soft pedal at like a hundred Watts, right? They still had to like put in a little bit of effort to make sure the group was still moving quickly. So they like that. Yeah. So the objective was over the course of the ride, we were trying to cover as much distance as possible. And so you know, it, it became super cool because, you know, we'd have like the recovering group would start messaging the people who were pulling and being, because they were riding easier, they'd be like, come on guys, let's go. You're doing good. It's like one more minute, one more minute. You're doing good. You oh, know, and cool. it was always like the last group that had to pull would like just go all out and, you know, we'd be cheering them on. And, and so it was, it was a super fun um, and engaging activity for them. And I, and I, tried to encourage them all to use the like in-game texting or whatever so that we could communicate so that was super fun and like even when we did endurance rides I always tried to um like I always try to like keep them entertained with with jokes and humor there's a like an ongoing um there's a running joke with with the team about my love of Taylor Swift's music um oh my gosh really yeah so that (laughs) That was always like um, whenever whenever things got lo- like kind of lull and and, I, and like we were just riding and it was getting quiet and I was like okay maybe they're maybe they'll get bored or whatever maybe I don't because the one thing I didn't want them to do was like when I'm like you have to ride zone two and it has to be an easy ride I didn't want them to get bored and all of a sudden start riding threshold for five minutes right yeah. and so yeah so whenever that whenever it would get kind of a lull I would I would bring up the Taylor Swift thing and I would like talk about my favorite songs and stuff like that. <laughs> They all like are you in line for her new album uh, i mean i've already listened to it on spotify so ah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think it's all right i mean i like i'm not sure if i'm buying into into the folksy taylor swift i was all about oh, no music. you like the 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 younger version of taylor swift like the yeah, I like, poppy I like the, I like the angry feminist taylor swift like <laughs> you know i think reputation was my favorite album yeah <laughs> 
Oh, fun. So, well, I'll have to listen to which one's the, anyways, I can't get <laughs> off topic. You know, we're talking about Taylor Swift now. Um, so that's awesome. I love the fact that, you know, because, you know, offline, I'm, I think I have somebody who might be able to help you. Um, and, um, and it might be an alignment with kind of what they're doing. Um, because if there's anything that needs to happen in our region, and I'm sure it happens in every region, is collaboration, which not a lot happens. I think you know? that there's a, there's sometimes there's like a oddly competitive nature, I think, between. Yeah, it's very and... strange, but very bad for sport. Yeah, because like, I mean, ultimately, we're we're struggling to get people into sport. So we should just be. You know, I always look at it like I was having a conversation with another coach about something and she was like, you know, I don't think, I don't view us as comp competition or whatever. I don't think we have to be competition. I was like, you know, if there's another coach coming into the area, to me, that's just like a positive thing because it means that the area, that, that the sport's growing in the area and that another coach is needed, right? Like you can't have one coach in Ottawa coaching all of the cyclists. You can't, and if, if a hundred more people pick up bikes, there's, you need another coach like you just do. And if there's more clubs growing, if there's more coaches coming up, it just means that the area is thriving with the number of people that are entering the sport. Right. So, yeah. Even myself as a club owner, I felt a little twinge like that when I was like all these new women's groups coming up, but I'm like, we have a niche. And what we have to do is do what we do best yeah. and people will come and, you know, I, there's no room for that competition because we are in this to grow the sport together. And um, if anything, we need to reach out and see if, you know, some sort of collaboration can happen. You know, not every, obviously not everybody's open to that, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. But those who are, I need to find them. So anyways, I might have somebody for you and we're going to wrap this up and I do want to put you on the schedule for like a check-in okay. next year because, you know, it's always good to bring back, you know, like what have people been doing right. um, and you have to, you have to subscribe, everybody subscribe to the podcast because this week I have an interview coming back that I did two years ago with Hunter Allen. Oh, cool. You know who Hunter Allen is? Yeah. 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 And I have an interview with him in January to see what he's been up to. And I can't wait. So I think he's, was it last year? I think there's a new edition of training and racing with a power meter that he was promoting last year, maybe too. Oh, no way. Because I have his first one. Yeah. Or maybe I, think his second. It, I think it came out last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I'm super excited about that. Thank you so much, Alan. I really um, enjoyed this. And, and maybe I'll pull you in for the, um, you know, the, the, the nutrition part, that part, you know, the, um, the uh, eating disorder. Because I think um, if you're willing. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty open about talking about yeah. stuff. <laughs> and actually, you know, I probably should have asked because I mean, we're, we're going to draw this in, but um, we'll bring this up later. But 
um, just talking about how you keep your eye on the athletes, knowing what you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, super important. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm so grateful for you. For, so remember everybody, subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you go there and write a review and please reach out with people you might know that would be great on here. Um, you know, I'm looking for all types of people who have a hand in cycling, who are doing extraordinary things <laughs> with bikes or like on bikes. Um, and also please share. So with that, have an amazing day and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you again. And before you take off, I have a couple quick announcements, cycling related, of course. So I have my online bike maintenance webinar, though you'll learn how to change your tires, repair broken chains, adjust your brakes, and learn how to use all the tools that are in your bike bag that you should be carrying with you. Go to bmcwebinar.com. The next one is my four hour cycling skills intensive course. Now this is where you're going to get all the cycling skills you need to take your experience to the next level, whether it's on the road or online, you're going to learn proper bike pedal form. That's going to help you with your efficiency. You're going to learn how to climb hills, all the skills, tips and tricks and speed and power. Not to mention, we're going to finish off with nutrition that ties everything together. So go to cyclingskillspro.com and you can find all those information on my courses, webinars, and downloads there. Take care and have an amazing day. And remember, you're only one pedal stroke away from cycling like a pro. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast. Learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.